everyone and thank you for joining us today for the Chemist and Druggist webinar where we'll be discussing what pharmacy can do to overcome racism. My name is Naima Kalachand and I'm the Chemist and Druggist Clinical Editor and I'll be hosting today's session. I'd now like to introduce to you our five panel members. So with us today we have Addie Williams who is an independent prescriber and lead clinician at the multi-award-winning Bedminster Pharmacy in Bristol. Lola DeBerry, Scotland and Northern Ireland lead for the UK Black Pharmacists Association and Superintendent Pharmacist at Alpha Pharmacy and Clinic. Alima Bachelor, Head of Policy at the Pharmacist Defence Association. Shiraz Khan, Head of Healthcare Operations at Superdrug. And Mohammed Hussein, Senior Clinical Lead at NHS Digital. Although it's a long-standing issue, the unprecedented times of COVID-19 pandemic have brought the UK's racial disparities to the forefront. The review published by Public Health England in June identified that those from a Black, Asian and minority ethnic background are at greater risk of COVID-19, a review which has sparked questions over risk assessments for BME pharmacy teams. The Black Lives Matter protests that have spread across the US and the UK have also ignited questions about racial inequalities. According to the GPHC, BME pharmacists make up approximately 47% of the UK pharmacist workforce. So with that in mind, let's kick off our live discussion. CND ran a racism survey from the 18th of June to the 27th of July this year, and we found some really shocking results. Of the 886 respondents, we found that 75% of BME respondents had received verbal racial abuse from patients in the last six months, and 9% of these had even received physical abuse. So with that, I'd like to go to Alima for our first question to discuss further what forms of abuse, discrimination or racism pharmacy teams are currently facing. Thanks, Neema. Until recently, we could say that fortunately we hadn't had too many of those issues reported to us. However, like the CND, we have also done surveys and we have seen an upturn. Firstly, there was an overall upturn in violence and abuse in pharmacies to the extent that we re-energised our violence in pharmacies project and the toolkit that we did and introduced a zero tolerance spoke to local police commissioners about and which was adopted by them and this was as a result of the reports of violence and abuse that we had from our members as a result of our surveys. The best way that I can do this is to share with you some of the quotes that we had from members when we're looking at and asking them about what had happened. We did two surveys. One was an overall survey on COVID when the pandemic had first started and then there's a subsequent one about PPE. These some quotes from the survey asking about whether staff members had encountered any violence and the things like the manager of the pharmacy was racially abused by a patient but expected to continue to dispense for them. I've experienced racial abuse from a customer I was trying to explain something to. The patient said, your kind of people wouldn't understand. I was racially abused by a customer who didn't want to stand in the queue. I was working, I've been referred to as a brown, I can't repeat that word, and had to endure working in a working environment that was very poor, with little support from management. And so it went on. We had a depressing number of these. Then we looked at violence and Again, it did happen against all members of staff, but there were some that were um, connect racial issues. Also, one patient told us to go back to our countries because we didn't want to stay on the phone with her. 
those are some of the issues that we saw. When we looked at the second survey, some quite disturbing things, because these were all, the first quotes were all to do with customers, but these were to do with colleagues, and that was depressing. So we did ask whether any of BAME members had felt that they'd been given less safe activities to undertake. We didn't get anything like that, but what we did get was an answer that said, because we have a lot of black staff, so these can't visit COVID areas. The rest of us are expected to. And basically, this quote was saying that white people were being discriminated against because black and minority ethnic people having risk assessments or being put on duties that weren't quite so dangerous. Then we had a question, what steps do you think should be taken to help govern the risk in COVID-19 for black and minority ethnic and all other vulnerable groups? One of the answers was dismissal. Then, well, it's so offensive, I don't think I want to read it out, but it was suggesting that we needed to do, as black and minority ethnic people, was improve our personal hygiene. Tell them to actually wear a mask. And I think these groups of the population need to observe social distancing more than they do. Now, these were all from our members, so these were all from pharmacists who are supposed to be working in pharmacy and operating in an inclusive and non-discriminatory way. So we found this quite worrying and we think there's a huge issue of potentially education because there were other comments like, well, we all get treated the same, so I don't know what's wrong with these BAME people. Failure to understand that. It's all very well saying we all get treated the same. But if you work in a company where your employee of the month always gets a pair of cufflinks, that might not be so amusing for your female ones, so useful, but everybody's getting treated the same. So it's a question of tailoring what you're doing to the different groups that you have, not just black and minority ethnic, but other disabled and other groups and making sure that everybody is safe. So I think these were the things and we heard about microaggressions. So not being able to pronounce somebody's name, not including them in discussions, dismissing their opinions when you're talking about things to do work. And then from an employer point of view, abuse not being taken seriously. So a lot of reports of the management didn't do anything or in the worst cases, the management backed the customer who was being abusive and gave them you know, a gift token, but didn't do anything to support the members. So I think we're, we're very much about education and employers and owners actually standing by their employees and potentially some meaningful and good education around these issues so that you don't get misconceptions that there seem to be in some employees as well. Thanks very much for that, Alima. It was really shocking to hear some of the results from your survey that, that you've received from, mm. from pharmacists. With that, we'll move on to the next question. The survey run by the chemist and druggist also revealed that 56% of BME pharmacy staff had experienced racism at least once in the last six months from their colleagues. For the next question, I'd like to firstly direct this to Shiraz. How can we ensure that staff feel confident and safe to come forward and report any forms of discrimination? Thanks, Naima. Personally, I believe that safety and confidence comes from the culture we create and you know, whilst I work for a large organisation, I think that goes down to singular independent pharmacy. And within that culture, I think it's important to create an openness, honesty and an environment where it's genuinely safe for staff, colleagues to speak up. 
where they feel they have got concerns, they will be considered, they will be investigated and acted upon where necessary without that fear of retribution. And certainly, you know, kind of if I relate it to my experiences, we've created the AIM network 18 months ago to really hone that culture of openness, honesty, and the freedom to speak up and talk to us. Ultimately, it comes down to the management team, the superintendents, the owners, the leaders within that business, within that pharmacy, within that organization to help create that culture. Leading by example, you know, there's some shocking examples that Alima read out, but you know, when you do see or hear any form of discrimination that people do speak up, you know, those leaders and those businesses do speak up and say something, thoughts of, well, they didn't mean it in that way, or if I say something, it creates an uncomfortable environment, just reinforces that discriminatory behavior rather than addressing it. I'm, I'm reflectful on the fact that, uh, and again, Alima kind of alluded to it, you know, these are educated people that are at the forefront of the community that are saying some of those things and comments. So very mindful that not everyone will be comfortable or knowledgeable about the subject. And I think it's important around education and understanding what unconscious bias means and what that means to you, you know, just awareness of the fact that that exists, as well as we'll talk later on about being an ally at work. Ultimately, you know, how do we keep the staff confident and, and, and create that environment of safety? We've got to have regular touch points with them. And, you know, as you get into a larger organization, that becomes potentially more difficult. And what, what we've done is we've made sure religiously that we've had touch points throughout the year, listening to our teams, listening to our colleagues about what's going well and what can be better. And I've, I've personally done that as a pharmacist at ground level in my own pharmacy. But that might be around, you know, how can we be better for our customers? How can we improve our processes? But I also focused on the importance of working as a respectful and cohesive team. So really ensuring that those touch points happen. And those listening groups that we delivered, you know, I've got a great example where we sent out face masks, lots of organizations did to their colleagues. We got feedback from those same colleagues that wear headscarves and turbans as well, that actually it was really uncomfortable. So we immediately invested in sending clips out to make that environment that just that one opportunity to make it a bit more inclusive and consider those individuals. Arguably, we should have done that right at the outset, but we reacted really quickly to make sure that we supported those employees. And we do engage the BAME employees to help enrich our plans, saints check what we're doing so we have that drumbeat of inclusivity throughout the year. But ultimately, for me, the only way to make staff feel safe and confident is really creating that culture where they can speak up without that feeling of retribution or it's going to be lost in the void. Thanks, Charles. That was, that was really good and really helpful and great to see what steps you've been taking to make it more inclusive for BME colleagues. Alima, did you have anything else that you wanted to add to this as well? Having employers that do walk the walk as well as talking the talk and have those zero tolerance campaigns and procedures so that if their employees do get abused in any way, that they stand by their employees and that the employees know that they can go to their employers and they will get back to, I think that will do a lot to improve their confidence. Thanks, Alima. So for the next question, I'd like to go to Mohammed. Where can pharmacy staff go to report forms of racial discrimination? Should there be more support and what should this look like? I think to address this question, it's worth just reminding viewers and listening 20 years of experience in pharmacy. And I've been on the GPHC Council and I'm currently also a non-executive director at a teaching hospital in Bradford. And so being in quality and inclusion is really, really important to the work that we're doing. 
think it's important that we describe what it is we're talking about. And racism is not about skin color. It's about power. And that's why it's so rife in the workplace. And that's why it's so difficult to address in the workplace because it's about a hierarchy of power. It's important to address. I think I saw a comment in the um, attendee questions as well about different forms of racism. Racism isn't just about white racism on people of color. It's also around brown on black and brown on brown racism. Racism has many different forms and we need to address all of those. Speaking as someone who's suffered racial discrimination throughout my pharmacy career in various guises, sometimes indirect, sometimes direct, it's a very difficult, lonely and damaging experience to live with racism, especially at work, because you spend so much of our time at work and the power imbalance at work means that you're always in a vulnerable position. And quite often racism is down the hierarchies of power within organizations. That's why it's so challenging. And it's also why sometimes colleagues and friends and peers at work don't necessarily step in to help the victim. Quite often, lots of people will know what's happening, will have seen it and observed it, but they don't always step in because they're also worried about being the next target or they're worried about the consequences of speaking up. So we have to ensure we're creating safe spaces and reporting lines where these issues can be raised. Now, just in terms of my own personal experience, I've in the past have experienced direct racial discrimination and I have lodged more than one grievance in various employers and I have challenged those and worked through them and it's incredibly difficult and I know why and I can understand why people don't go through that formal route because it's very very challenging and living in a hostile environment is damaging personally and the scars can be with us for our whole lives. In terms of addressing the question specifically around what is it we can do, my top tips would be document it in any way that you can. So if you experience what you think is direct or indirect racism, write a contemporaneous record. Tell someone, if you can, a work colleague, a peer, someone outside of the team. If you have a HR department in your organization, you don't necessarily need to make it formal, but you can lodge an informal concern. And that's a lower level way of reporting something without having the burden of carrying a fight around racial discrimination. If you have no one to tell, email yourself. So then you have a contemporaneous record of a date and time when something happened to you and how it made you feel and document who else was there and exactly what happened. So that if you need to, you can always go back and you have that record, that history of what happened. After the event, it can be very, very difficult, sometimes months or years afterwards, to try and pull together exactly what happened and who was there and the sequence. If you do leave an organization and you have an exit interview, and I would always encourage you to have an exit interview, even if that's not the process within your organization, Exit interviews are incredibly powerful. It's your opportunity to put on the record your experiences. And even though it's too late for you because you've now left that organization, we need to try and make it better, incrementally better for other people. And so in your exit interview, make sure you document and record exactly what happened to you and your experiences, the culture of the organization, and any challenges you experienced in terms of of reporting it. You need to leave a data trail in future if more allegations are made there is a picture painted of the experiences and someone else can stitch them all together and get a really good view of exactly what's happening within that organization. That's all about what you can do. What can other organizations do to support us? I'm really pleased we've got Alima on from the PDA. Join a union. It's really powerful. This is a network of people there who are there to help you and support you. And they are experts in different forms of discrimination and they will fight your corner. So Join a union, it doesn't have to be the PDA, there are other unions, the Unison, etc. I think that's really important. Pharmacy bodies like the RPS, PDA, EPSA and others should have a service where individuals can report discrimination or potential discrimination. So we can track them, we can get data 
we can gather information about what is happening out there in the pharmacy sector. Your survey in terms of CND survey showed you know, how many pharmacists are using racism. And it's not a surprise to us who are BAME, but for many white pharmacists, it was a surprise because it's invisible. They don't see it, but we do. And it's a lived experience for us. So we need to gather that data. We also think that all pharmacy organizations should publish ethnic pay gap data. So I want to commend the RPS for doing that. They don't have to, but they have, and it's great. I think more pharmacy organizations should be doing that, both private and public organizations. I'd like them to go a step further. So membership organizations like the RPS, Aptuk, and others should publish membership data so we can see what is the makeup of their members? Does it represent our profession? What are the gaps? Who are the leaders in those organizations? And the work that they're doing, is it representative of all the voices within our profession? And it's really important that when we're talking about BAME, we don't lose sight. BAME is the rest of the world. So BAME is the world majority. That's what it means. And it has many different constituencies and communities. So often we talk about BAME and we probably just mean Asian or Indian. And actually, we should mean Black, African Caribbean, Chinese. And we need to look at all the representation for all of those groups, not just a specific group within Bay. Quality for me, we need to remember, is not a moment. It needs to be a movement. So we need to keep doing what we're doing now in terms of talking about race equality and keep the dialogue, make sure we inject pace and speed into it so we get some real results. We don't need change. We need progress. And that's the message I'd like to um, leave with you all today. Naimo, if I may just add to that, and Mohammed talked about power in terms of racism. And whilst, you know, there are many cases that people perceive they have power by utilizing, you know, racism to convey that, I think it's also important to not dismiss that there is a massive amount of ignorance as well. So there have been plenty of times where I've sat down with colleagues, peers, and those that have reported to me and had a conversation with them and they have been blissfully ignorant around their actions or the words they've used. And I think it does come back to that element of education and making sure that, you know, we explore unconscious bias, we explore what racism is, we explore, you know, the right way to approach it. And it's not always going to be comfortable and people will make mistakes, but as long as we have those conversations and educate, I think that's really important. So power is one piece, but I think ignorance is another as well. Thanks very much, Raz. And Mohammed, thank you very much as well and for sharing your own personal experience. I think it's important for everyone to know that, you know, we've all kind of been through these things. So for our next question, we're going to go to Adi. How can we intervene when pharmacy teams experience abuse from customers? What measures can be put in place to protect staff and who should be doing this intervening? I think Shiraz and Mohammed have made some very good points which my answers are building on, is likewise Alima, I think one of the first things we need to think of is what is the culture that we have created in our workplace? People who come in are guests in that environment. So actually their behavior sometimes, whether it's ignorance or whether it is the things that they are empowered because of what the environment presents to them. And when somebody is racially abused, one of the things we know we sometimes lose sight of is that is the trauma that that brings on. So if you find that a colleague who is not just a minority, but is a minority in your team as well, is actually subject to that, it is demeaning. It is public ridicule. It is revisiting trauma that they most likely have encountered many times in their life. It is revisiting trauma that their family has encountered many times in their life. It is revisiting trauma or presenting trauma to them that 
the people around them do not recognize it and expect them to take it on the chin, to be professional, to stand there and present a professional facade at that point in time. And I think what I expect from a really strong team or a, a team that values that person is to step in, is actually to, to, to show that the depth of value, the depth of comradeship is the speed, is the ferocity, it is that sense in which they are the ones actually saying, you step away from this, we are going to deal with this. And if there is education to be done, they provide the education. If there is correction to be provided, they do that. It's not for that person to stand there and defend themselves. I think it is very important that we understand that that has got to be the culture that we have in there. Now, we can look at the communities and the settings and the, and the patients and the people that we're dealing with and think that, okay, maybe there are some ways or some work that, that they need to do. And I think it's important that we, we put the responsibility where it is. It's work that they need to do that we can help them with. Now, maybe some education, maybe because of ignorance, maybe some language, you know, that needs to be corrected. But I think it's important that that responsibility is for them. And actually, we remind them of the terms in which we provide care for them. It is mutual respect accorded to everybody in that team. And as a pharmacist, I'm conscious that many of the people that maybe encounter this in my team, they're not going to be myself. It's most going to be my, my colleagues on the counter, my colleagues that are technicians, my colleagues that do the delivery they go through those experiences every single time. So we also need to think of the processes as well. When they come to us, you know, how does it feel when I listen to that and I say, oh, that's really, you know, but could you spend a few minutes and write a report about that? Or I need to check up with Mr. Smith what really happened or, or Bob, what really happened there? Are you sure that he really said that to you? I think we need to be more affirmative about this. I think that's in, that in itself imbibes a culture in which it's unacceptable to do that. But really, that also starts from us. I think we will deal with it based on our own personal ability to accommodate those things. So I think the first thing to say is, do we have a culture that means that if those things happen, we are completely repulsed by it. We feel that it completely undermines our value and we are acting on that. And some of the things that have happened, some of the reports that we have had in the last few months, it also puts a spotlight on us as a profession. How are we responding as a profession? Because if we don't sort our own house out, we can't really be expecting the public to then respect us if we don't respect the same colleagues that they are treating that way. Thanks, Adi. I thought you made a lot of great points there. And obviously, we need to present a united front as a pharmacy team in order to overcome racism in the pharmacy. From our survey, 46% of BME respondents said that they had experienced verbal racial abuse from colleagues while 15% said they had experienced other types of abuse from their colleagues. So firstly, we'll go to Lola to answer this question. What can non-BME team members do to be an ally to their BME colleagues? And what steps can they take to support this issue in pharmacy? Thank you very much, Naima, and good afternoon, everyone. When I was looking at that question, I thought about the word ally. What does that mean? To be an ally to someone actually means to be willing to act with and in support of that person. Now for the pharmacy team that are non-BAME to support the BAME members, the first thing that we need to first of all address would be a commitment to understanding what racism is. One of my colleagues today has said something about, I think it was uh, Mohammed or somebody, he had said something about the different shades of racism. And really, there's the different shades of it. So do we really understand it? So a commitment to understanding what racism is and a commitment to supporting is very important. 
I would say to start this, we need to ask ourselves some questions. Questions like, am I complacent about this issue? Have I really given a big thought to it? Or I'm just thinking of for myself, well, I know I'm not racist. I know I try to treat people well, and that's just okay for me. That is not enough. Even if you as a person is not treating the other person, you know, in a racially discriminative way, you should be able to act as an ally in a way to support and call out other people that are doing it within the pharmacy team. So I think that that is one of the things, one of the questions that we should ask ourselves. Another question is, do I have an unconscious bias and how can I help? And most especially, I want us to touch on a particular thing about what is my why? Why do I have to get involved, really? Because a lot of people, I have a lot of things on my plate. I've got my family. The work is already stressful enough. So why do I have to get involved in someone else's business? Well, I think that my answer to that would be, basically, we need to be able to do this because we have given a promise of duty of care to patients. I think now we need to look at giving a duty of care to ourselves as pharmacy team, as professionals too. Because yes, being a professional and working our career, it's a whole length of our lives that we use in doing this. And it's really important we do it well. Steps that I think that um, non-game members of the pharmacy team could help after asking themselves such questions, you know, that I've highlighted, would be to commit to continuous education with regards to what racism is, how can I get involved in supporting my team members, and to stop complacency. Thanks, Lola. And as Claire, we're seeing a key theme around education combating racism in the pharmacy. Adi, is there anything you'd like to add to this question? In the pharmacy profession, if you are a person who is not from a black or minority background, the truth is that you have being preferred in our profession. And I think that calls out in us a sense of redress. It also calls out a sense of regret, actually. And I think that is one of the things that should mean that when we're looking at this, there is no need for the person to have to justify or excuse or explain their sense of injustice or their sense of, of anger about this. We also need to put in place for ourselves as a person who has profited from what is the status that exists, a process of actually using that power, which remember Mohammed kindly, you know, rightly mentioned, now taking that power and actually using it to redress the problem that exists and also handing it back to where it should be. This is not about raising one person above another. This is actually about putting things where they should be, that we are all valued as individuals. We are accorded the same opportunities, the same respect, and that is what we signed up for when we come into this profession. That is what we tell the next generation of pharmacists, that that's what they're going to find. So we are either a, we are defrauding ourselves, but also we are selling a lie if we don't fix this. And I think in 2020, we can say the pharmacy shouldn't be here. And if we are here, we should then be racing to get ourselves out of this. It's inexcusable. Thank you, Adi. So we'll move on to our final question before we move on to the audience questions. And I'd like to direct this one to Shiraz. How can the pharmacy environment be more inclusive for BME colleagues? I know you touched on this briefly at the start, but if we could go back over that again. 
A question that's very close to my heart is the uh, BAME network sponsor for Superdrug. And I am conscious, I'll say this outright, okay. um, that a lot of my um, answers now are going to be probably Superdrug centric. So apologies in advance. But I share this in the spirit of sparking some ideas, sparking some thoughts. And maybe there are things that people would want to emulate or duplicate or, or even, you know, share with me things that we could do differently and better. I go back to the culture and a few of us have already talked about that. And I think creating that culture is fundamentally important to making that environment in pharmacy more inclusive for Bain colleagues, for everyone, in fact. But kind of just to delve into that, that deeper and, and, you know, how are we creating that and, and how are we championing that? How am I doing that? Certainly within the organization, within where I work, you have to have champions within that organization or within any business that champion inclusion. And we took the decision as an organization to actually invest in that. We're, we're at that size where we, we have to, we want to. And we actually have a senior manager who is solely dedicated to inclusion and diversity and the engagement of our people. I talked about setting up over 18 months ago the BAME network and the committee is responsible for the activity and keeping the movement. And I use the word movement because it isn't something we just do when it finishes, but keeping that movement alive on a daily, weekly, monthly basis with genuine, meaningful actions that are really going to drive change rather than just rhetoric. And I've talked about, you know, involving the colleagues. That's fundamentally core to what we believe in helping us to educate, adapt and evolve together. And as senior leaders, you know, within the organization, we understand even as a, a, as a Bain colleague, we understand that we don't have all of the answers and that we do need to involve and work at this together cohesively. One of the great things about the organization where I work is actually it comes from the top. That inclusion mentality really does come from uh, right from Peter, our CEO, all the way through our levels. And there's more we can do. You know, Naima, we're not we're not where we want to be. We know we've still got a journey, but there are plenty of things that we're doing. And if I touch on the kind of meaningful actions that make a difference, you know, it can be from the simple things like Peter, our CEO, celebrating in his communication with all of the organisation and our colleagues across the UK around religious festivals. And um, you know, we have a calendar of all of those religious festivals to ensure that we celebrate all of them and really um, giving that time in the communications that we send out, allowing colleagues time off to celebrate as well around those religious festivals. So you know, it can be really simple at that level to more complex initiatives that we have employed. So uh, more recently, BAME reverse mentoring. We've got more junior colleagues that are uh, of BAME background who actually mentor our exec and our senior leaders within the organization. So they're the ones that are actually mentoring us to help us understand you know, what it means to be a BAME colleague within our organization, but actually what it means to be a BAME colleague as a customer as well. You know, And it's those kinds of complex initiatives that have really helped us to gain momentum and accelerate. More recently, we're working with the senior leadership team and the CEO on inclusive leadership unconscious bias and our most recent session we're looking at is talking comfortably about race and I've seen there's a few questions around that already which I'm sure we'll get onto but you know it's got to start from the top and include everyone within an organization everyone has to feel comfortable about talking uh, around race Lola talked very eloquently about facing into unconscious bias and I think that's really important you don't know what you don't know and when you start to explore unconscious bias and raise the awareness, which is the starting point to create change for a more inclusive environment, I think that exploring unconscious bias is really important. We've had one-to-ones as leaders to explore our own unconscious bias.
And then just again, to touch on what Lola's mentioned very, very quickly, I think that element of creating true allies within an organization, that, that concept of allyship, not just, you know, I'll speak up, but what that truly means, taking that, you know, BAME struggle on as your own is really important. I just wanted to add that it's important for us to frame it in a way that's not just about bad apples. There are some bad apples, some individuals who will bring their own biases and prejudices into the workplace and act upon them. But most racism and most bias is structural. It's built with the organization. It has a structural impact on individuals from a BAME background throughout their career. And that's where the most damage to the most BAME individuals occurs. You can argue it's ignorance. Personally, I think in 2020, there's very little credence to an argument around ignorance. I think we know enough around the data and the knowledge parity work that if you run an organization, you need to be actively thinking about being anti-racist. It's not enough to say report acts of racism. It's being structural in a sense of understanding what it is we need to achieve and being very clear about achieving it. I really like the idea of having Bay Networks. I have one in my organization and I support it whenever I can. But also, uh, let me give you an example of what we are doing at Bradford Teaching Hospitals Trust. So we're in an area of 35% BAME. We have very few senior BAME execs in our organization. It doesn't represent our community. So at a board, we've taken the decision to say we need to represent our communities at board level, not at junior levels, at board level. Uh, and so what we've done there is that we've set a target. We monitor it con constantly on the, at the board. There's a metric at the, on the board dashboard. And we've set a target to achieve that. And we've actually taken action to try and achieve that. We've not just crossed our fingers and hope we'll, we'll get there. So we report against it. We've ensured that every senior appointment within the organization has a BAME person on the interview panel. And we've also worked really hard to ensure that whenever there is an interview for a senior position, there are appointable BAME candidates that are shortlisted. And if there aren't any appointable shortlisted candidates that they can identify, then we need to work harder to find those candidates. Those candidates exist, the talent is there, and I think organizations need to be proactive about doing this work. It's structural. It's very easy to, to dismiss individuals. We need to think about the structural deficit in organizations that has this BAME impact on BAME careers. And that's the focus we should have. Do you know, Naima, I agree around some of it can be structural and I think there's a starting position for everyone, certainly, you know, who've joined on the call. Mohammed talked about BAME careers. We, we actually had a BAME careers month last month and there's plenty more that I could touch on. But Mohammed, I, I think you're right. You know, there will be organizations at different parts of the journey, I think. And certainly sounds like some may be further along than others. You know, how do we kind of share those great ideas of what we've done? And, you know, there's some great ones there, Mohammed, that certainly I'll take away and we can consider. And, you know, that's, I guess, what part of today is about. How much can we all do more as a collective to gather momentum on that journey that we're all on? I think Lola would like to add something in here. Yes, please. I was just going to add some practical points we could do as a pharmacy team and the pharmacy world to ensure that this doesn't just get talked about and then swept under the carpet or there's continuous momentum with it. Now, the first thing I want to say is like a development of a set of code of conduct, so to say. Something like what we have with regards to error recording in the pharmacy, you know, Every pharmacy, you know, as one of their onions, they would have that. And it's usually aimed at avoiding patient harm in any way, form or fashion. Now we could have something like that, a record of that sort of thing happening in pharmacy, but this time aimed at avoiding harm to 
our colleagues, especially the BAME. So if you didn't notice that any of the other colleagues has done something or said something, there would be a lock somewhere. I was concerned today when somebody mentioned this. I thought person X might have felt slighted at that point, you know, like a record book and it's there. So that managers can come, look through it perhaps weekly, look at it and address it in a team meet. So, and that continuously being there, I think will keep everyone on their toes, knowing that things are going on, things are being recorded, just like we're looking out for our patients, we're looking out for ourselves too within the pharmacy thing. I think that's a practical thing to do. Another thing I would also want to say, all of us have kind of touched in one way or the other to continuous education of the issue around racism. I want us to look at the fact that at the moment, I know that whenever we're doing interviews and things like that, there's a record of saying, are you a member of a minority ethnic group? You can take it if you want or just leave it out if you don't want, you know, and it's supposed to be anonymous and things like that. I think it would go a long way. Even at the point of interviews, there is the talk about this. It is the managers, the hiring managers and directors, they say it to people that are coming into the organization. This is who we are. Tell us what you think about this. Tell us what you think about racism and things like that. And you can as much be able to weigh the kind of person that person that's coming into your organization would be. So I think generally speaking, ultimately racism, our reactions to it comes a lot from the information we have, education, and that would affect our perception and that would obviously affect our productivity. I just want to say again and again, information, educating ourselves and holding ourselves and the other people around us accountable to whatever actions or attitudes they decide to take. I think someone else wanted to have an answer as well. I just wanted to um, come in there just to talk a little bit about the BAM term isn't perfect. There's another term around BIPOC, B-I-P-O-C, and none of them are perfect because what all they do is they substitute one acronym for another, which still means the rest of the world which still starts from a presumption that white is default and everyone else is secondary. It's not ideal, but I can see why it's used because it's useful as a shortcut. The the risk in it, I think, is twofold. One is we can spend a lot of energy talking about the right umbrella term, what that term is, which takes us away from the real work around structural inequality. And that's where the energy should be focused, not on a term. But secondly, I think we just need to be mindful of the inequality within that term. And so as we've all talked about, by using that term in an operational way, we mask all the inequalities within the BAME community. Because the BAME means the rest of the world. It means everyone who is not white. If you want to change the term BAME, I'd say call it rest of the world or the world majority. So with that, we'll move on to the next question. What role do you think the GPHC plays in reducing racial discrimination in the pharmacy? I think when we address in this particular point, it cannot be lost on us that really shouldn't be where we are now. That in itself is a collective failure. And I think what we are then saying is that where does the leadership come from? I know Shiraz's opening about champions and how Mohammed, as always, kindly put in place the understanding about structures. Actually, I think it's the next bit about that is leadership. And I think the measure of leadership on this particular topic has got to be one is how do we quickly undo problems that are becoming very evident. And some of that actually also raises the other question is, some of these things shouldn't happen on our watch. 
And I think that's important because what that communicates to the people that are experiencing the worst form or any form of racism is empathy. The measure of empathy for the colleagues that are experiencing this is how the leadership actually acts quickly, the steps that they take, the rigor that they apply, that's the real measure. It's never going to be about appointing champions, and it certainly is not going to be about strategy or policy documents. And I think the GPHC has a responsibility as a regulator of the profession. Yes, mindful of the fact that it has a responsibility to regulate the profession on, on behalf of the public good, not for the profession, to say to the public that these professionals that you are seeing are not ones that abhor or accommodate racism in any way or form. I think that's very important for us as a profession. I do raise a really valid point around it's got to start with the professional leadership. When we talk about champions, you know, I, I talked about champions within our organization. I guess my question, and it's probably not one that we can answer here and now, is, you know, who are the champions within the GPHC that are championing the fame colleagues and professionals out there? So it'll be interesting to find out more around their inclusivity data and representation. I can speak from experience on this. Whereas I was at the GPHC for, for seven years on, on the council. And I can say that the GPHC has been on a journey on this, like many organizations. So whilst I was there, I challenged for and asked for the data around ethnicity and pre-reg pass rates. And if you mask that in the bay, we wouldn't have seen that black students were so far behind. It does need to challenge at board level, but it needs to be a sustained challenge. No one person can push it through and need structural change. So some of the things that I did at the GPX was also to, to push for equality impact assessments to be published on every consultation, have a look at data or fitness to practice, and to start anonymizing those complaints wherever we can to, to try and take away some of the systemic bias. The GPHC can do a lot. It has some levers that no one else has in pharmacy. One of the things it can do is it can start at academia and universities. It accredits all the courses. And one of the things that we've done recently, I think the last couple of years, was to bring in an equality clause, a university seeking accreditation for the MPHAR, had to demonstrate how they were being representative of their student body, how the faculty was working to engage with their communities. And that's a start. But the GPHC can do a lot more. It's the only regulator we have. It has huge power and influence over our profession. It can do so much more. It can lead the way and it needs to be doing more. Yeah, I completely agree, Mohammed. Does the term unconscious bias simply legitimise racism and detract from the real issue? Really, I think the term unconscious bias is real. I don't think it's uh, trying to detract in any way from the real issue. It's just there. If each of us, like I said earlier, that it's a personal thing, we need to, first of all, look at ourselves and ask ourselves some solid questions. Whatever, whether we're white, black, Asian, any color whatsoever, we need to ask ourselves, what are my thoughts concerning this? What information do I have concerning this? Am I really actively engaging in knowing what this is about? I've just blanked out totally. And the fact that we keep referring to unconscious bias, it's definitely there. However, each individual should ensure that they don't hide behind that, you know, and excuse it away. So I think that's it. It's not legitimizing racism. It's just saying what is there. It's there. It's there. However, there are the real acts of racism. And then there's the unconscious bias. And each individual, as they educate themselves, they'll be able to pinpoint, oh, yeah, I'm actually biased about that. 
I wasn't conscious of it, but now I am. And then I can take actions, you know, to better that aspect of my attitude or behavior. That brings us to the end of our webinar on how to overcome racism in the pharmacy. We hope this is just the beginning of this really important discussion. Head over to our website for more coverage on this. If you have any questions, please tweet us at Chemist and Jurgist using the hashtag racism in pharmacy. Thank you for listening.